John chapter 4. Uh, when we are excited about something, uh, we generally talk about it, right? When something exciting is going on in your life, it doesn't take a long time before we begin speaking. If there's a vacation coming up that you're excited about, like our, we're going to the cottage in a couple, maybe a day or something like that, and our boys, we turned on, we started going north, they're like, Dad, are we going to the cottage? Like, well, no. They're like, oh, I'm like, it's going to be good. Right? We're excited. We talk about something. Maybe it's a vacation, a new job. Maybe you had a baby, you just, your, your first home, whatever it is. When we're excited about something, we speak. We, it comes out of us. We tell people. Now, the most exciting thing in the life of a Christian is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most exciting thing in our lives. But even as I say that, I know that there are times in my life when I'm not as excited about Jesus as I should be. And the reason for that is that there's things that come in and just draws my attention away from Jesus that, that pulls me away. And so that excitement then goes away. But when I slow down, when I, when I put my eyes where they're supposed to be, when I think about Jesus, do you know what happens? The excitement about Jesus comes back. And the excitement about Jesus comes back because when I, when I slow down, I realize, I think about all the things that Jesus Christ has done for me. When I think about all that Jesus means for me and for other people, I realize that he can do for me what no one else can do. That he can do for me and for everyone what no one else can do. And I'm hoping that as we walk through this passage together, that the Holy Spirit, because this is his work, not mine, that the Holy Spirit will stir in your hearts fresh excitement about Jesus Christ for this reason, so that you would leave this cafeteria and tell other people about him. That the Holy Spirit would stir in us, I've been praying for that, that he'd stir excitement in us, that we tell other people about Jesus, because we realize and see from the text that Jesus can and will do for others what no one else can do, so that we would leave here and engage in missions, in evangelism. So in John 4, in the first four verses, we're told that Jesus is headed to Galilee, and then on his way to Galilee, he gets tired, and so he gets to Samaria, and as he's in Samaria, he sits down. From his journey, he is tired. And so we find that Jesus in John 4, verse 6 says that he is sitting beside the well. So in his humanity, Jesus is hungry and he is tired. See, Jesus is like that hardworking woman or man who gets home after a hard day of work and just plops down on the couch trying to recover. And so here we find Jesus resting. So let's pick the story up from there. John 4, verse 6, it says, Jesus... Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus here is resting, and this woman comes, and he, and he speaks to her. He says, give me a drink. Now, she is shocked, right? You see that in verse 9. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, 
speaks, speaks to me, a woman of Samaria. She's surprised that Jesus is speaking to her. And that's because Jews and Samaritans, if you're, you know your Bible well, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They didn't really deal with one another. This is a group of people that they were divided among religious and racial lines. A, a Jew thought that if you interacted with a Samaritan, you would become unclean. And so there's these barriers between these people, but notice that Jesus isn't letting that barrier stop him from talking to this woman. He pushed through all of that, and he answers her question in a way that she is not expecting. Look at verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Here's our first point. Jesus is the one who satisfies. He satisfies. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus says, I can give you something pretty, pretty special. But it's from her response, it's clear that she misunderstands what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus, she thinks Jesus is talking about physical water. That's why she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. But Jesus isn't talking about physical water. See, he's aware that physical water, the thing that she's come to get from this well, will only satisfy her for so long. That's why he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. See, Jesus here is talking about spiritual water. Water that will satisfy her for the rest of her life. Water that he alone can give to her. Now, if you're wondering, you know, what, is the, what is this water? What is this water that he is talking about? The water that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. That's why he says in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. So Jesus here is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now you're like, how do you know that? Well, if you, if you were to flip further into the book of John, in John 7, verses 38 to 39, it says this, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. This is the gift of God that Jesus is talking about. This is the gift that Jesus wants to give to this woman. This is the gift that he alone can give to her and will give to her. See, the Holy Spirit can satisfy the woman in Samaria, and the Holy Spirit can satisfy anyone in Newmarket, Brampton, Toronto, and beyond. See, when we drink the water that Jesus offers, we are completely and permanently satisfied. So Jesus here is interested in her spiritual thirst, not her physical 
thirst. See, he speaks to this woman because Jesus wants to deal with an issue going on in her heart. See, this is a woman that's been looking for satisfaction and fulfillment for a long time and hasn't been finding it. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. See, this woman here has had a chain, a long chain of unfulfilling relationships. She longed to be known and accepted. This actually comes out when we think through the time that she comes looking for water. See, this is a woman who is dealing with rejection. She's longing for people to accept her and just to take her for who she is. She is dealing with rejection. See, when people, when women would go to draw water in this culture, they would go in groups. They would go with other women. When they would go to draw water also, they would either come early in the morning or later in the evening so they could avoid the heat. But what do you notice about this woman? She's alone. She's also there at one of the hottest points of the day. The sixth hour was 12 o'clock. See, the reason why she comes at this point is because she's trying to avoid the people in the town who are looking down on her because of her poor choices, whatever you want to call it. She's trying to avoid those people who judged her, who thought ill of her. But notice that Jesus is doing none of this to her. Jesus is not judging her. He is not uh, rejecting her. He accepts her with all of her messiness. He accepts her with all the junk that is going on in her life. And that's because Jesus looks and he sees a person. He sees an image bearer of God, someone who is hurting because of the way sin comes into our lives and makes a mess of it. He sees a human being. He satisfies her longing for acceptance that has been going on for years in her life. See, Jesus does for her what no one else can do. And here's the thing. This longing to be known and accepted is true of us too. We long that people would know us fully, clearly who we are and still accept us. But we're fearful we're fearful of putting ourselves out there with people because we think if people knew me, if people saw me, if they know all the messiness in my life currently or they know all the messiness in my past, then they would reject me. And so we hesitate letting people close. We hesitate embracing vulnerability, but we don't have to do that with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus knows all the mess in my life. He knows all the mess in your life. He knows all the mess from my past. He knows all the mess from your past. But Jesus doesn't reject us. What he does is he wraps his arm around us and he says, come here. There's a loving embrace that we get from Jesus Christ. And not only that, then he starts the work of transformation and change in our lives. And you know what that means then? Then we can freely put ourselves out there. We don't have to fear anybody rejecting us anymore because I can say, well, if you reject me, you know what? I'm good because I have the love of Jesus Christ, and that is not going to change. And so we can freely put ourselves out there because he loves us and will never 
never pusheth away. Though Jesus satisfies the longing, her longing for acceptance, then he also deals with her confusion about worship. Look at verse 19. It says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship upon this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, all Jesus is saying here is that the Samaritans and the Jews, they disagreed on where and how we are to worship God. And Jesus actually tells her that the Jews are right. He says the Jews are right on it. But he also says none of that matters anymore. Because he says, I am here. Jesus says, I am here, the true temple, who earlier John says tabernacled among us. He says, I am here, and I am calling all people to worship God in spirit and truth wherever they are. We can worship God in this cafeteria. We can worship God in the parking lot because God is with us everywhere. We're supposed to do that truthfully and filled with the Spirit. See, this woman is confused about where and how to worship. We get confused about what to worship. She's confused about where, how. We get confused about what to worship. See, missions exist because so much wrong worship exists. You, do we understand that everyone worships? People are always worshiping. Always, always worshiping. The thing that we've got to answer in our lives is, am I worshiping the right person? Is my worship aimed in the right direction? See, our longing for satisfaction, our longing for fulfillment leads us to worship things that are not God. And this started way before any of us were walking the earth. It started in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve, our first parents, chose to worship themselves, when they chose to worship independence, when they became convinced that they could live life without God, when they became convinced that they could do things on their own, and that has continued ever since. And many people today worship at the well of money. Many people worship at the well of independence, at the well of freedom, at the well of sex, whatever it is, trying to find fulfillment. These things become messiahs in our lives. We become convinced that these things can save and satisfy us. And what we really end up with is there's moments of pleasure, but it's fleeting pleasure. And so we go chasing it again because it's just fleeting. That hole in our heart can't be satisfied by the things that we are stuffing in it. And so we chase these things. They become messiahs in our lives, but they cannot save us. They cannot satisfy us. The only one who can do that is Jesus Christ, the true messiah. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman's statement reminds us 
that all of us are longing for a savior. Do you know like every superhero movie is tapping into this reality in us? Everything from Black Panther to the Infinity War. When I watch those, I'm like, I wish I was Iron Man. This longing for a savior. When we look at our life, when we look at the world, when we see the racism that is in the world, when we see the political confusion that is on CB24, when we look and we see the economic oppression and injustice, when we look at the poor, when we just take a drive south of here and go downtown and see everything in front of us, we start to realize something is wrong. When we just look at ourselves and our own life, how we can go from loving the Lord and then doing some ridiculous things in like 20 minutes, we realize that there's a brokenness here, that there's this longing for us. We need to be saved. And the truth is, we feel that it has to come from something outside of ourselves. And that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to her, the Savior the king you've been longing for, that you've been told is coming, is here. It is me. He says, I who speak to you am he. He says, I can satisfy all your needs. F.F. Bruce said this, the soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. Our deepest thirst is for God. This is why missions, this is why evangelism is so important. This is why we are planting a church. This is why you planted this church. Is because there's people who are longing for satisfaction and not finding it. Because the person, the one person they can, they, that can satisfy that in them is Jesus Christ. And we know Jesus. And so we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, go and tell others about him. And as we do that as we go and tell. Let's follow the example that Jesus sets. Jesus here gives us a great example of how to talk to others. Notice how he's gentle with this woman. He is respectful with her. He speaks the truth to her, but he does it in love. He's not afraid to talk to her about the sin that is there, but notice that he doesn't shame her. Notice that he doesn't demean her. He does none of that, again, because he sees a human being, a person. Sometimes when we go, and I've been this way, to talk to others about Jesus and to do evangelism and to engage in missions, when, I, when, it, when it comes out of me, it makes it so that nobody ever wants to talk to me again. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The reason why... We speak to people about Jesus Christ. It's not to shame them. It's not to win an argument. It's to tell them about Jesus, the one who can satisfy and transform them. And because we have the Spirit in us, we can pray and ask the Spirit to give us compassion, kindness, gentleness, to look and see another flesh and blood person sitting across from me who's dealing with all the hurts and challenges of life, all the pain that sin has brought into our world. And so that, so that the compassion comes to our hearts so that when our words come out, they flow with truth, yes, but also with gentleness and humility and respect. So the person walks away and they feel like we have upheld their dignity and their value and worth. And so that people not only want to talk to us, more about Jesus. They're willing to go and tell others to come and talk to us 
about Jesus. This is what happens with this woman. We're going to see that in a moment. So Jesus is speaking to her, and then the disciples come back. Look at John, uh, uh, verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And so that word marveled is important. They, so they, they're in awe of what Jesus is doing. And the reason why they're marveling that Jesus is talking to a woman is because rabbis in those times thought it was actually a waste of time to talk to women. Some, one rabbi went as far as saying that if you talk to a woman, you would actually go to hell. That's ridiculous, right? I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> See, in talking to her, Jesus is breaking away from the misogyny and sexism that was actually around him. See, when you read the Gospels, what you will see is that Jesus treated women differently, that Jesus treated women well. See, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, do you know what Jesus does? He makes sure that his mother is going to be looked after into old age. When you read the Gospels, you'll see that the scene between Mary and Martha, Jesus actually allows Mary to sit at his feet, and he disciples her. If you look at Jesus' ministry, what you see is that Jesus is going out of his way to include women into his ministry. Jesus models for us the value and worth. He shows us the value and worth of women in our lives. Jesus shows us the way that we are to treat the women who come in and out of our church and come in and out of our lives. So often the church can project like the fulfilling of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment is for the men. That is not the case. What you see in the ministry of Jesus is that he shows us that, that both men and women, we all have roles to play. That is, that is true. But all of us are vital and important in doing what God has called us to do. Jesus models for us how we are to treat the women in our lives. They are, they are of infinite worth and value to be treated with respect and dignity. So as the disciples come back, she runs off in her excitement to tell others about Jesus. Look at verse 28. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and to the people, said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now one of our elders one of the other pastors in Brampton, his name is Dennis Baggett. This guy's like the king of, you know, one-liners. I think sometimes he's at home just kind of working on stuff. And so whenever I'm preaching, I always, Dennis and I, we sit down and we just, we just, we just read the text together. Because I, wa I want to be sharpened by, he's, a, he's older than me and he's much more mature than me in Christ. And I just want to be sharpened by him. I want his opinion and his help. And so we talk about the passage Together And he said this of this line, and I'm like, I'm going to put that in the sermon, but I'm not going to steal it, Dennis. I'm going to give you credit. He says, he said, Marv, at first, we are the mission. But after we are saved, we become the missionary. And I just, just kind of let that settle in. When he said it to me, it was like kind of like a warm bath. You know, you kind of slide right in like, ooh, that's good. He said, we are the mission. This is the reality in this woman's life, and this is our reality. 
that we are now sent on mission. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She is lit for Jesus. She's like, come see him. And this brings us to our second point. Jesus is the one who sends. He is the one who sends. The disciples try to get Jesus to eat something. But Jesus has a much higher priority than eating right now. Look at verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him something to eat? So they're like, Is somebody bringing him something from Timmy's? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, doing his father's will was like food to Jesus. Jesus here is actually telling them, I am nourished, I am strengthened by helping this woman. See, his concern for her spiritual needs made it so that he put his physical needs second. And what you have here is Jesus actually living for us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, when seeing people come to Christ, when seeing people meet Jesus, when that becomes our passion, when evangelism and mission is driving us, when we see and remember the beauty and power of Jesus Christ, when we are lit to and wanting to do that, there are times in our life where our physical needs will come second because we're concerned so much with the spiritual needs of others. See, Jesus here is so concerned with the needs of others. He's so committed to doing his Father's will that he helps this woman. But not only does he help this woman, he also helps us. Jesus was so committed to doing his Father's work that he went all the way to the cross, where he paid for our sins, where he paid for our sinfulness of just thinking about ourselves all the time and not considering other people's Needs. And that's why in John 19, verse 30, he could say, it is finished. And his finished work on the cross made it possible for us to enter into a relationship with our Father. This relationship that we walked away from. So Jesus here clarifies his priorities. He also wants his disciples to be aware of the times they're in. Look at verse 35. It says, do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So he's telling them, he's like, the times you're in are unique times. He's saying that when you reap, when you sow, reaping actually happens at the same time. He's saying this is unique. That's why he says to them, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, says ready for harvest. And this is also why he says to them in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages. Jesus is saying to his disciples, other people are out there working. And gathering the fruit for eternal life. He's saying, go and do it. 
Go and get involved. See, the disciples are distracted. They're like that student in the back of the classroom just kind of looking out the window. Do, 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 do. This was me. Just distracted. Jesus is saying, focus. He's saying, look, the reason why he says the fields are ready, he says, lift up your eyes, it's because there's people streaming out of the town. He's saying, look, look, this is a time of reaping. He's saying, get involved. You're worried about food. He's like, here are people who need to hear about me and come to Christ. He's trying to put urgency in their lives. He wants urgency in his disciples then, and he wants urgency in his disciples now. Jesus wants us out into the work, gathering the fruit of eternal life. He wants that excitement to be in us all the time. Don't you, don't you remember when you first got saved, how excited about Jesus you were? You wanted to tell everybody. And what's happened after a little bit? Maybe not everybody in the room, but it just kind of, I know this happens to me, and I'm a pastor. It just, it just kind of goes away. And, and this excitement, this, this love, this wanting to see other people experience what we are experiencing, it's just not where it's supposed to be. And Jesus is saying, there needs to be an urgency because people need me. They need to be satisfied by me and me alone. So he says that the fields are ready for harvest. See, missions isn't an option for some. Missions is a mandate. Evangelism is a mandate given to us all. And for some of us, that means that maybe we will get on a plane and fly somewhere far and tell others about Jesus Christ. But for many of us, it just means being a faithful witness in our neighborhood and in our city. And verse 38 reminds us that we all have different roles to play in this work. It says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. See, the disciples are benefiting from the labor of others. They're benefiting from the labor of Jesus. They're benefiting from the labor of those who came before Jesus. And so he says that this is a reaping time. So it's a reaping time, but we may get to a spot where we end up in a field that needs some sowing. And so we may have to sow, but here's the thing. When in our sowing, we may not, you know, reap the, the results. Somebody else may come along and reap the benefits of our sowing, but that's okay. Because, and we got to keep this in our mind, faithful evangelism, faithful missions is just telling other about, others about Jesus Christ and leaving the results to the Holy Spirit, trusting that he will do the work in their heart. As we're just faithful and telling Others, And that's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but what? God gave the growth. It's not on us for the growth. It's on the Lord. We are just called to be faithful in telling. And God will give the growth, and we will all rejoice together in his success. This conversation between Jesus and his disciples almost makes you forget about the woman who is running like Usain Bolt back into town to tell other people about Jesus. She is so excited, and her witness was actually effective. Look at verse 39. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Here's our final point. Jesus is the one who saves. 
Her testimony had a powerful effect on the people. They were streaming out of the town to meet Jesus. And this reminds us that one of the things that God uses to draw people to his son is our testimony. Now, some of us hear that and they're like, well, I got one of those clean testimonies, Delmar. You know, so and you're, you're wondering, is it, is it worth sharing? The answer is yes. Because here's the thing about testimonies. None of them are clean, no matter how clean they sound. Because every testimony has in it this realization that I had sinned against God. And God opened my eyes to that reality, and then he showed me that Jesus Christ paid for all of my sins. And then God in his grace called me into a relationship with himself. He saved me. And your testimony is Powerful, whether you were saved at four years old at your mother's knee or 42 years old coming off of a drug high. It's powerful because God did an amazing work in your heart. And so you're wondering, should I share my testimony? The answer is yes. And trust that God will use it however he wants in the life of other people. So they come to Jesus and they ask him to stay with him. Look at verse 41 and says, and many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed, this is indeed the savior of the world. The text says, many more believed. And notice that they believe because of his word. See, our story is, helps to draw people to Jesus. But our story can't save anyone. What saves people is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what's happened here for this woman, and that's what's happened for the people in this town. They've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves. And their encounter with Jesus leads to a firm commitment about who he is. And it leads to a firm commitment to them following him. Notice that they said, we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is the Savior of the world. Jesus here reaps a harvest among the Samaritans, and it's to show that Jesus came for all people. He will save people from every tribe, nation, and tongue as we do the thing that he has called us to do, to share, to go, to see more disciples Made. The people from that town are drinking now from the well of living water. And all of this because of this woman. Because she was willing to go. She said to them, come see the Savior. She said, come see Jesus. Come see the one who can do for you what no one else can do. And you got to think about this woman before. Think about where we started with her. This is a woman who avoided people before. This is a woman who was filled with fear before. But what do we see of this woman now? She is boldly telling people about Jesus Christ. As we would say in Brampton, she is, she is full of courageous clarity. I'm just being courageous and telling you clearly who the Savior of the world is. That's what you see with this woman. And so when I was studying it, and maybe you're thinking right now, how did this happen? 
How does she get from fearful hiding out at a well to now in the town saying, I don't care what you think about me, come see Jesus? What causes this to happen in her life is because this is a woman now who knows that she is loved and accepted. She has met her Savior. She's been running around looking for husbands, and now she has met the true and good and faithful husband. And she wants other people to meet that Savior. See, Jesus, his perfect love for her, casts out fear from her heart. And here's why. Because he gave her a new heart. He gave her a new heart with the Spirit now living in that heart who gave her the power and the courage. This is not just her trying hard. This is a new heart, Spirit-filled believer, dependent on the Spirit, telling other people about Jesus. And her bold witness leads to many people coming to faith in Christ. See, her witness actually starts a chain reaction. Notice it says, many more believed. She believed, then other people believed, and then other people believed, and then other people believed. Her one step of obedience leads to a chain reaction. See, this woman here sets a great example for us. As we step out of her comfort zone, she is out of her comfort zone. As we step out of our comfort zone and tell other people about Jesus, we will see many people Come to faith in Christ. Many people drinking from the well of living water. Many people in our cities will find the satisfaction they have been longing for. Telling others about Jesus Christ starts a chain reaction in the world. And what stirs excitement, what stirs courage, what stirs boldness, what stirs freedom to speak the gospel in us is the gospel. Remembering that in Christ, we have been satisfied. That in Christ, we have been saved. And that in Christ, we have been sent. So that other people would experience what we have from Jesus Christ. He can do for us, for them, what no one else can do. And so we go and we tell. 